Hi, and welcome to the Wires Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. This is Chris Fault, the editor of the Toolkit, and we are back. Um, my guest today, uh, filmmakers behind uh, Wildlife, director Paul Dano, and producer, writer Zoe Kazan. Uh, we're going to be, I've already started to record a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, got all the big, uh, Alfonso Caron, Barry Jenkins, um, a whole bunch of the filmmakers with big movies this winter. So every Thursday, we'll, from starting with Paul and Zoe, and then we'll be going on out. And uh, then also save some uh, from the summer, like Lynn Ramsey and Boots Riley. And so we'll be working in throughout the year, yeah, basically the best films of the year from here until uh, Oscars. But uh, Wildlife, what did, when, when does Wildlife open? I forget. It's about this Friday. It's about the Friday. So, so tomorrow, tomorrow, you'll listen to this, on, you'll listen to this tomorrow. <laughs> Wildlife is one of those films. It's so good. It's Paul's uh, directorial debut. Uh, I have to, you know, it's funny, you guys are New Yorkers, you're cinephiles, you had, uh, I, I can only imagine, not a lot of American independent films played New York Film Festival. Mm. <laughs> it, it's like, and that means something, I mean, New York Film Festival means something, but that means something yeah. here. And then at the same time, two days later, you're up on stage with the Coen Brothers, which is a, a surreal thing. And I just think, I, you know, that's a wonderful thing, but I have to imagine that had to be a surreal week, that whole element. That was a good week, I would say. You know, it being uh, the wildlife being the first film um, that that I've directed. The the previous festivals, we were very fortunate to to be there, but I would say it was hard to enjoy, honestly, because uh, just so nervous um, and it's so scary and vulnerable. We premiered at Sundance. We premiered at Sundance. Then we played Critics Week at Cannes and Toronto. Toronto. Um, but each time, you know. Um, it's just, uh, it's really scary uh, to share it. But New York Film Fest was kind of finally, I think because so many friends and family were there. I've always loved the New York Film Festival. It's always kind of been the first stop for me to see a lot of the great foreign cinema of the year too in, in the US. Well, so, so you catch up with like, unless you go to Cannes, it's where you catch up with all the all exactly. your favorite international directors in exactly. a, a two, three week period. So it's always been sort of important as a movie goer, right. you know, rather than as an actor. Um, and like for five minutes after the screening, I think I was like, okay, we did it. You know, we, we made the film we wanted to make and it played the New York Film Fest. Um, we had a friend come to both Buster Scruggs and Wildlife that week, and Paul couldn't be at Buster Scruggs because he had to go to um, San Francisco to a film festival there, the Mill Valley Film Festival. But our friend was like, it's crazy to have seen like Wildlife play on the same screen as a Coen Brothers movie, and like they're being treated like peers, and like isn't that incredible? And it sort of, I think, hit us both at the same time. Yeah, Claire Denny. Uh yeah, you know, Alfonso and, and Paul with his first movie. This is like, <laughs> you know, I, I got the sense uh, you have always wanted to make a film, right? So this isn't this. Um, what about, you know, I have to imagine that decision of what is going to be your first film. You know, both of you obviously have other professions uh, in acting, but and you've worked with a lot of directors. I think you've been in first people's films before. Mm-hmm. You know, the element of what is going to be. A first feature beyond the fact that you just got to take that step. I, did you put a little extra pressure? Did you put an extra thought into like, I want to make sure this is. Yeah, but you know the 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 fun thing is when you really love something, it doesn't always feel like such a decision or a choice. Do do do, do you know like the book kind of just took me over, um, so I was less in charge of the decision, uh, it, it, which is what you want. That's like um, a big feeling. Uh, it's playing in your head. 
You're yeah. reading the book and you're yeah. seeing it. It's, it's taken root in you and you can't stop thinking about it. And the, really that's the only way you're ever going to make a film like this anyways because honestly it takes so much work to get to day one of photography. Um, you just have to have an obsession. Um, and Paul read the book probably like a dozen times before we even optioned it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yes, I'd wanted to make a film for a long time before that. And frankly, I think was disappointed in myself that I had not been able to come up with something, you, you, you know, because I knew I had something uh, to give. I just felt like, you know, and so this was really important that, you know, I stumbled upon this book. And it seems as if uh, I read, had read somewhere that you also kind of knew that you always wanted to make films about family, which I guess when you make a film about family in one way or another, you end up making a film about your own family. And I have mm. to imagine that's also a balance of like, uh, where, you know, are you going to write an original script versus can you see yourself in someone else's depiction? And this is a very specific view of a nuclear family. Yeah, I mean, I just, family has always been, I've been, we grew up in a one-bedroom apartment here in New York before we moved to the suburbs. We are, my family's very close and, and perhaps too close, you know. Um, and it's also just been something in art, you know, whether it's an Arthur Miller play or an Ozu film or something, like it's just always been there for me. Um, and I think it's important actually for me that the first film was an adaptation. I think it's probably the only way I knew how to begin to go about it um, because in some ways it's not dissimilar from what you do as an actor meaning you're putting like your most personal self through something else um, and I felt my family in it I felt my parents in it I felt my grandparents in it even um, and I think that's partially to do with the fact that there's something archetypal in the characters and in the time period um, but there's also something hopefully deeply personal in Richard Ford's writing and then hopefully something, we're hopefully giving you something personal. I feel, I feel like there's been, uh, in the last 10 years, this really, this kind of unhealthy cross of people associating personal filmmaking with biography. Mm. Do you know, like in mm. that sense, not that there's been great films and there's great films that people do kind of delve into their own life, but I find that, you know, that element there, they're not, they're not congruous, you know, necessarily. There's and also been a huge rise in auto fiction in publishing, mm -hmm. and I wonder whether there's some overlap there, like whether the temperature of our society is telling us like that autobiographical material is the most important or something. It also feels like um, a selling point to some of these things. You mm -hmm. know, like you know, I, we were just talking about the New York Film Festival, and one can already see as things are positioning themselves for awards. Um, I had two films that I loved, but instantly the first thing out was, was Roma and Cold War. And the idea, oh, this is the story of his parents, or this is the story of um, Alfonso's childhood. And there was this element, there was like, that's not, you know, there was that thing where it's like, that's what's going to be the first question of the Q&A. And that's, like, that's how they're positioned, right. which feels a little unhealthy because mm. I got so much out of, I don't need to know about your family. I got so much of how you see family and the <laughs> dynamics. And I, I don't know you. I don't know you, but I could feel you as a filmmaker in Joe's eyes. And, and well, that's nice. Yes, that's wonderful. And thank you. Um, and, you know, yes, like there's a part of you that it's fun to sometimes talk about 
where you are in it, sometimes it's important to give uh, an audience member like um, an offering of yourself. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I do think that's some of what sometimes people get from something. And, and, you know, people coming up to us talking about their parents' divorce is kind of like one of the most beautiful things. You know, it's like, okay, well, I don't know you. And that's really nice that you would share that with me after seeing the film. Um, but I do feel like everything I want to say about myself, frankly, is there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And so you took a pass at the draft, uh, the script, and uh, my understanding is that's where you got involved, right? This is this is yeah. Maybe maybe wasn't as good as Paul thought. <laughs> we keep getting asked about this, and we have to. I have to say, like in our private conversations at home, we're like, is, did it happen that way? Like you know, it's we've become a story between <laughs> us now. You know that that we tell, and, and you know. I'm gonna tell the less storified version of this story now, which is that yeah. I think that when Paul first said, like, well, when Paul first, when we first optioned the book, Paul was like, I think we'll hire a writer to, mm. to do this. And we talked a bit about that. And then Paul had some time on his hands between jobs and was like, you know, I think I might take a crack at it because even if it's like just a exercise in learning how I see the film, like mm. it'll be good for me as a director. And then by the time he handed me a script to read, he had revised that position. And then what he gave me felt more like the first thing he had pitched me than it felt like a finished draft. And so I tried to give him notes on it like it was a finished draft, and that was not that productive. Um, and Are you naturally collaborative? In the, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm sorry, not you as an artist. I mean, as a couple, are you naturally yeah. collaborative? I was going to say, it's like this really we use each other so much as like a bounce board and I, I, I wouldn't think think of it really as collaboration so much as like you know the way that I said this at a different Q&A and people laughed at it but but like there's a whole science stuff science stuff about how couples use each other's brains as like an extra hard drive so like one person <laughs> remembers where the keys are and the other person doesn't have to I think we use each other's brains a little bit like that like you know, as an assist, kind of. Um, and no normally, I think, if when I give Paul my writing, he sort of comes in with the assist like that, like to read, um, to be my first reader. Uh, and in this case, I, I was like maybe too nosy or something and was like, I, I, I can't give you these notes anymore. Like, I have to. It's going to be easier for me to rewrite you <laughs> and show you what I mean than to tell you and to fight about it. So I did a pass. And then we had a very, very harmonious working situation after that. I don't think we ever fought again about the script. No, and I think if we did, it was probably on behalf of the characters. That's um, the heat. On behalf of the characters. Uh, and that first draft too, it was not even in screenplay format. Mm -hmm. um, it was sort of like a more naive, um, I mean, purposefully so, because I've read so many scripts, I just didn't want to like jump to, um, so it was trying to just be the guts of it. And yeah, I think I was sort of like a little bit devastated, you know, that, that it was, it was, you know, in, in that much need of help. Um, but I also felt like, um, Zoe's a really generous person and collaborator and, and to her friends too, even with just giving notes on something or sort of lending her, you know, thoughts to, to people. Um, and you know, I was really happy that she wanted to like take a crack at it. <laughs> Two, two, two things kind of strike me is um, it seems like you knew where you wanted the note that you wanted to end on. And I don't want to ruin the movie, but it's a very distinct 
way of ending the movie, and it's, 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 a, it's a tough note to hit. You nail it. But in that sense of how this story is going to resolve to find it, to find it in that way, and also the mode in which you're going to tell this story, which is, is going to be static, observational, and how we're going to handle point of view, how we're going to notice subtlety and unveil things to the audience. Both of those require a, a script. I mean, you always need a good script, but there's an element of how much you're going to pull back and where the audience is going to be, which I have to imagine is this incredibly tricky balance. If you know where you're going and you know how you want this to feel, there, there's an element of point of view, but also pulling back on details and where the audience is that I, I have to imagine is part of the math of cracking this, right? I think so, yeah. I mean, first of all, thinking of the sort of final shot of the film is probably what got me to try taking a first draft rather than hiring a writer, because once I sort of had that feeling, I was like, oh, which is not in the book. So it was a, the first big hit I got of like, oh, this is why I'm making the film. Um, and then we really put a lot of work into the script. And one, we optioned it ourselves and we didn't have anybody to answer to, and I felt, we felt like time was on our side, and especially with an adaptation, to let it go through a process where it was kind of able to shed some skins, take a step away from the book, um, and learn to kind of stand on its own. Um, and that also, as a filmmaker, each draft you're making the film, you know, you're seeing it in your head in some way. So it kind of allowed the film to evolve stylistically a little bit as well um, throughout that process uh, and I think Zoe and I talked about it enough where the aesthetics of the film are even baked into the writing I think for example when I talked to Diego Garcia our DP he saw the shots in the script even though they're not elucidated actually in the writing and I was like yes I think they're there too you know it was like a magic kind of moment where it's like okay this guy sees, you know, the writing's very spare. Some people felt it was too spare. And then some people saw sort of, you know, some, whether it's DPs or production designers or whatever, saw the, the feeling of the film baked into the, the, the language and, and just kind of the space in the script. Um, I will say also, like, uh, um, I, I, uh, it was very important for us to keep Joe's POV being the, the lens through which you're seeing the family. Um, which is what it is in the book. Uh, but in the book, there's this kind of like extra layer of memory. You know, it's an adult looking back on his childhood. And I think where we found that extra layer in, in when we were making, uh, making the script was actually in the parents' inner lives, that they sort of, when we kept it strictly to Joe's POV, all of a sudden the movie would feel really small. And as soon as we would open it up just a little bit to Jerry and Jeanette's stories, suddenly it felt like, oh, like mythical again, like attached to the American dream, attached to the idea of family. And then if we put too much in, then it didn't feel like Joe's story anymore. So we were trying to figure it out and like find ways of hinting at Jerry's struggle or, you know, what it's like to be a woman in 1960, like the social aspects, like a little bit actually ended up going a long way and too much distracted you. It was, it was a really tricky balance and what Paul's saying is true like if we had to have if we had to pay our rent as writers we wouldn't have gotten the time with the script that we got but because we pay our rent in this other way like we got a lot of time to figure those that, that balance out. 
but we knew from day one of writing that we weren't going to move the camera unless we had to. You know, it was always going to be that kind of film. Um, same with like even sound, music. Like it always was going to be like when it needs it, when it you know earns it. Otherwise, let's just keep it honest. Was a word that we might use, whatever that is for us. Do you feel like that is who you are? I mean, that's obviously who you are as a director, but. Is that unique to the story and the way you saw the story, or do you think that's kind of that's kind of the the, mo the voice in which, at least as you start your directing career, that's that? No, I think it. I think part of why this book worked for me so much was not just because it felt personal. Uh, it's because the language of his writing met the language with, with which I would want to make a film. So yes, I think that that is for like honestly like when I first started seeing films, um, where they were quite like when I first saw um, A Man Escape by Robert Bresson was like one of the first times I thought holy shit maybe I'll make a movie someday. I don't know why that kind of you know uh, sort of um, quiet like you know there's something just like really pure about the way the image and the cut is used and. Um, for some reason that really excites me um, and I think it makes my senses perk up as an audience member. It may not for everybody, but for me it kind of makes me engage with the film in a different way and it makes details really pop. Yeah, that sense of gesture and, yes. you know, those faces, you're not, you're, you have very expressive actors, but even yeah. just the way the faces become this, like, you can't quite get into them, but mm. a hand can mean everything in a one of his films and you do that in a really interesting way just this house and the movement and being there you know one thing um, I want to talk about the uh, Carrie Mulligan character Jeanette right mm -hmm. you know I don't really care about this I don't want to have the conversation about um, you know is she likable or not that's that's for a different audience I don't care it's for an audience that should go see other movies but they, um, there's an element here though of where we are going to be with Joe in regards to the decisions and the things that she does after, is it a spoiler to say after Jake's character leaves? No. Okay, okay. So, so after the father, after the father leaves, that element of what hap how she reacts and what she does in, in those 24 hours and then after, there's an element here of, um, she's a fascinating character, I love the performance, I love the character, but like, where we're going to be, how much mystery there's going to be with this mom mm -hmm. to the boy, and, and, and Part of this is, you know, he has to play this adult, but how much, you know, those moments of reveal and where mm -hmm. he's going to be, I have to imagine that's kind of, because um, really what you're talking about is where the audience is in regards to this character. Yeah. And I, that's, yeah. I imagine the book handles that in a different way and that, that's a little bit of like how you're going to crack this, right? Yeah. I mean, her character was very... Uh, challenging to sort of write and I think one of the intoxicating things about writing this film was like the mystery of who our parents are so frankly trying to understand her was part of the impetus of like the whole project you know it's a means of just trying to understand something in your own life most likely um, but um, we originally even had more scenes where she's alone or where their parent, where Jerry's alone too, just to try to understand them and then scale it back because the reveal of information through the kid is really where I think a lot of the power of the experience is. Intention. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is that, um, you know, on the page, uh, 
the way that a book operates, right, is that you as the reader supplying everything that isn't on the page, right? So you're imagining how she looks and how um, Richard Ford doesn't give you a lot of clues about how she's saying something, right? There's no, there aren't many adverbs, if any, right? Like, it's like, so she just says these things and you're sort of left trying to figure out, was that kind, was it unkind, was, um, but with, uh, performance like on on screen there's a lot more emotional content there so then it became a lot more about like all right um, we have to inhabit her more we have to let an audience inhabit her more but like how much access are we getting and I think some of those answers came with the camera and some of them even came with like music and stuff like that like um, when they're driving to the to Warren Miller's house later in the film and she's got this green dress on like Paul did those French overs right and so you're only getting like some of the information of her face I don't know things like that I mean yes it's in the writing but it's also in the camera yeah yeah we were constantly playing with I mean that for me there's a moment um where they're outside of the Warren Miller Bill Camp's character's house and she's looking quite upset and the kid says mom and she's in shadow and then she turns to him and smiles and it's like for me that was the feeling of being a kid it's like what like wait where are you know um and so how to give the audience enough where they feel it and stay with it but also keep it uh enough um so that we're with the kid going oh my god what's happening what's happening to her is it an act of survival? Is she having a breakdown? Is it a crisis? Does she know what she's doing? She seems really conflicted. Wait, seems like she's having kind of fun and throwing herself. And you, you know, it should be like a weather system in the actor. And and frankly, we would never have been able to make this film and write it the way we wanted to, shoot it the way we wanted to, cut it the way we wanted to, without having really good actors. Wait, can I can I give the editing room example because I think it speaks to that. Sure. Even, I, I'd like it. <laughs> even in the editing room, like... By the way, she was, was asking Paul that question, not me. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, was a, there was a scene right after Jerry leaves where um, the Jeanette character is in her bed and her son comes in and they just have a little dialogue. And Carrie had one take in that scene that was like a magical take, like the kind of take you wait for as an actor, you wait for as a filmmaker, where like every emotion passed her face, she burst into tears, her face changed color. Like when I saw it in the dailies, you know, I texted Paul being like, this is it. Like, and he texted back being like, I know, holy shit, right? And we had it in the film forever. And people kept saying, you know, when, when the father leaves and the character starts to change, like it feels really abrupt, it feels like kind of jarring and like, like we were showing it to friends and we kept being like, ugh, it should feel jarring, but not that jarring. And then finally we took that takeout and we put one in where it's a lot harder to read what she's feeling. And people stopped saying that. And it was a really good lesson for us, partially because the language, I mean, the, what's on the page is exactly the same, but that amount of access, what you're talking about, was like very different. Yeah. And she seems, I mean, it's an amazing performance, but I have to assume that Carrie Mulligan is also bringing a huge part because there seems this element of like, she can dial up the wall, like obviously she can give you full access like that, but the subtlety of what degree the wall is up between her and the camera and how much access she's gonna give to you, to the interior, seems to be something that is, you can be dialed with her and very, and just what, obviously I've only seen the final cut, but it seems as if it's something that could be very fine-tunedly um, 
uh, That's kind very of perceptive. Yeah, she is, um, a, you know, really wonderful actor, super collaborative, and she is like a, I don't know, like a great ballerina. We've said her like a slalom skier or something where you can just kind of like, you know, uh, have these subtle adjustments. Um, and would you do it in takes too? Like it sounds like Zoe's example. It sounds like sometimes like maybe yes, you could you could have give yourself some options. Yes, for sure. And and part of that though is also the feeling of like searching for that X factor that we all don't know. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what I mean? Like you get a group of people. To, I, I I feel like as an actor, you only get to do a scene once. And I've heard you know some very great directors be like, no, two takes and you have it or whatever. You know like. And I just think that's, I really don't feel that. I think it's important to search for something um, on the day and in the moment and to give the actors that opportunity. So it wasn't even just about getting options to have our asses covered in the edit room. It was more like, let's see if we stumble upon something that's even a little, a sharp turn we didn't know about or a happy accident. You know, sometimes an accident causes the best, um, you, you, you know, thing to happen. and. And also, you, they're so they're so good when Carrie and Jake feel something in a scene, and they say, "Oh, I don't know if that, you know, like that's good." You know, I mean, it feels like a problem momentarily, where it's like, "Okay, if the blocking doesn't feel right, let's talk it out," and then you discover something better. Um, so yes, like watching the monitor, if I felt like, "Okay, let's get a little more left or a little more right with something in terms of performance or up or down or whatever," you would say, that was certainly totally doable because they're such excellent actors but it was also more about like let's give them room to be their best self and just like set them up to like fucking succeed you know and go for and it. also to fail actually yeah, that's a really important part of it you know you get to be in a space with people you trust and you know i think it allows you to like get one more little something out of yourself because there were take, I mean, look, there are takes in the movie that are like all in one shot, like scenes that play all in one shot, and obviously there's n- there's no editing room magic happening there. But there are also scenes where like there would be takes where you could tell that the actor wasn't happy, but something about their frustration with themselves allowed us to put one note of frustration into the scene, like letting an actor be totally present with all of themselves, not just all the character gave us a lot to play with in the editing room, too. The thing I loved about the casting of this movie is, um, y- util- and I've seen, it, I've seen it done with him a few times, where they're utilizing a little bit of the, um, you do it here, uh, Jake's kind of um, lovable, like kind of puppy dog, you know, there's something very, you know, and, and in this case, he's the dad who leaves, but it's still, you know, whereas the mom who stays, we're, there's this, I think, some people that are having trouble handling this character's always, the dad was so nice and he's off, but he, he, he left. And it's the mom that's there and we are forced to enter like all these things and all these decisions and be in this position of this woman, which was a wonderful exercise to be. But I feel like there's an element there of, um, you know, there, it's a wonderful performance, but also kind of playing off that element of him because it makes us see him different. It makes us see kind of, 
you know, past that kind of exterior of the kind of Gregorius kind of wonderful. Well, yeah, and also, right, it's like, um, you know, when you're sort of stepping out of the uh, Eden of childhood, your parents are suddenly like real people. And, and so to start them out as the heroes, you know, I mean, she's a really stand up wife and mom in the beginning, too, mm -hmm. right? She's like, everything's okay. And he has that quality you're talking about. And he's also like, Jake is a movie star, right? So to have that person leave um, felt good for what this kid's experience would feel like. You know, your, your, your parents are your movie stars, you know? And so if one of them takes off, it's quite shocking. Um, and I think the same quality though, I think also there's another quality in Jake that you know you're, you, what what you're um, seeing is is really important for the first part of the film. But there's another quality about him as an actor that I think is really important later in the film, which is like I think Jake has a bit of a like live wire or something where it's kind of like you just like sometimes don't know like what he's gonna do. Um, and I really like that side of him as well, where it's kind of like okay, this guy seems like he could like blow, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I want to make sure I get it. Uh, the oh, where's his name? Your young lead, Ed Oxenbold. Where did you find this guy? He is amazing, and seems as if I don't know that that was an easy role to cast. And he, he was there's there's a sincerity there and an openness in his face, and also a way to kind of like also share like what's going on in his head. The wheels spinning. It's a, it's a I. I, I I thought about it when I saw it again last week. It's it's not an easy role, so you know, and no. you you're asking a lot from that performance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we could not have made the film without Ed. Um, he was really the only kid once we saw him. Um, he came late in the process. We had a great casting director named Laura Rosenthal here in New York. We saw a lot of kids, and Zoe and I were kind of going, okay, like there's a couple kids who are like, you know, and finally one day we got a tape from Australia this kid named Ed Oxenbold, and we watched the tape and it was like really exciting. You know, it was like the first time we saw the scenes the way they were meant to be almost or something. And it is exactly what you're saying, which is he was able to fill in the space between the lines. You know, his thoughts were carrying through the scene. And he has a window, you know, and you could see it on his audition tapes. Audition tapes, very good, you know. and we were really excited, but also cautiously because it's so scary to cast a kid, you know, frankly. We made him... Is he, we, he's the, he, the character's 14, I apologize. How he was 15 at the he's time. Okay. I'm sorry. Now he's 17. Yeah. Um, but uh, he, he, like, we made him, we called him back, we, like, made him retape just to make sure it wasn't a fluke. Yeah. Yeah, you know? gave him a few adjustments to, like, see. Um, and uh, he's a real actor, too, meaning he's making choices, he's thinking, he's working with the material. His natural personality is not Joe. He's actually much more self-possessed, confident, sort of um, funny. funny and, you know, um, so the performance is deceptive because it is simple in a way, but really it's not. And, and we couldn't have made the film and cut the film the way we did without him. If we had to like cut around a kid and just like find the kind of magic moments, it would be a different film, so I'm like so grateful to Ed. One thing you really pulled out of the story um, is a sense of place. Um, first off, this idea of the family has just come to this town, 
but also there's this sense of um, a Montana. You're accessing the landscape every once in a while that you can, but there's also this, just this feeling of, and also these interiors. I, are you New York? You, you grew up in New York? You're, you're not West Coast, right? You're, you're, I you're, am. You are. But not Montana not, West, not, Coast. Not Rockies, West Coast. I, I grew up in Los Angeles, <laughs> so. But there's something, there's something about uh, the, these interiors in this space um, that are so baked into the story and that you're accessing and the filmmaking in a way that seems like integral to telling the story. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and and that, we had to fight really hard for it. Yeah. In what know, sense? The, the sense of shooting there? Well, everything. I mean, getting a, a film made about a family in 1960 Montana, you know, Zoe and I had a lot of advantages being the fact that we're actors, right? Mm -hmm. So an agent or producer will probably call us back. but. But money's money, and like people want to know that they're going to get their investment back. Frankly, so like this is not like a quote like no brainer, right? So we constantly interrogated why 1960 and why this place, just to know, first of all, as writers and directors, like why? Because you need to do that anyways. But also because we had to fight for it. Um, we only got to film four days in Montana. It is all we could afford. That was like heartbreaking at because first. Of, because of taxes. Because yeah, they have no tax credit. And and then um, we scouted a lot of places and Oklahoma, which has a great incentive, uh, offered us a lot of great sort of period natural gold. And it was like, okay, we can make this work. And not only did it work, I think it's actually totally great. And you would never know unless I, I didn't. said that. And I did, yeah, you, I did. You, you, you yeah. know, but at first, like that's a really daunting prospect when you have, you know, something in your head. and. And um, for me, it's essential, the feeling of like this hermetic, the home is the world, like you're just kind of stuck in it versus this landscape, you, you, you know, like um, that you're kind of on the edge of the world, you know, with these mountains sort of surrounding it and the fire on the horizon. And the fact that for this kid, I think sometimes um, like emotions are bigger than like, you know, there's something to do with nature and our inner life that I feel connected to at least when I sometimes feel frankly out of control, um, when I can't control my own experience of the world, you know, that could be someday you're really fucking depressed, you know, and it's like, you, you can't just like stop it. You know, it's bigger than you momentarily. Um, and then just the period aesthetic, um, it's so fun as a filmmaker because you really get to create your frames. You know, you can't just point the camera. And so you get to make the color and texture of the film. Um, and being that it is um, a film that the camera's not always like moving and doing something fancy, it's really about the composition and the feeling of what's in the frame. And what, what our production designer, Keen McKenzie, and our uh, costume designer, costume Amanda designer. Ford, put, you know, in the frame was was yeah. very they they also had a very strict budget um, so they were doing a lot of creative um, brainstorming yeah they worked wonders on a really you know a small budget for period um, and uh, and not much time we didn't have a lot of pre-production time yeah and with Diego too the four of us really worked closely together I feel like just the reaching Diego um, is a cinematographer who's worked with a lot of great international directors mm -hmm. um, I think he's Mexican, but I mean, he's worked with Carlos Regadas. He's worked with, uh, I'm never going to pronounce my favorite Thai filmmaker's name again in public, but 
Paul, Paul, I, very confidently. I say it with confidence, but I don't know if it's right. I say a peach pong, we're a Seth Cool. Yes, I mean, and but, but, <laughs> I don't know if that's right. It just, you know. Uh, but I mean, uh, we call him Joe. Yes, we call Joe. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> but I mean, even I feel like even just reaching for him uh, spoke to something about what you wanted from your first film. You know, because I think there is this idea of, um, you know, your film premiered at Sundance, it's an American independent film. We've seen fourteen-year-old coming-of-age stories before, but I feel like there's something about what you wanted from this film uh, that fits a little different and spoke to that. And I mean, you did a wonderful job, but I feel yeah. like there's also just something in the fact that you reached for him that speaks something. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, again, it was sort of looking for somebody who, um, I don't know, you know, especially it's so fun in your first film to question everything, but like, you just never want to assume that you're going to do a master, a medium, and a close-up. Like, why? Like, why take the time to, like, shoot shots? Like, you have to, you know, sort of know why you're putting the camera where you're putting it. And Diego was just, uh, I was lucky to sort of um, get sent his work, um, I think just by an agent at WME named Granulus. And uh, his images were really sensitive, uh, beautiful but his sense of composition was really good and that was something I knew that I needed like an an eye that could make these sort of as you said static or still frames still really come to life um, but if you watch neon bull or something it doesn't look like wildlife like no it doesn't but you know his work is it's very good but more importantly when we talked about the script it was clear that Diego was bringing a piece of himself to his work he um, saw the film in a way that other people didn't. His English was the, the, he spoke the least good English of anybody I met with, but the closest cinematic language to me. So lovely conversations. He's the only person I met in that field that taught me something about my script that I didn't know, our script. I don't, I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I just mean when somebody says something, when you've worked on something for years and when they reflect something back to you and you go, oh shit, I never thought of it that way. It's really exciting. Um, and yeah, I think I think you're. You also exactly just fell in right, love though. with him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, but and you're but you're exactly right that it was important to have a voice or an eye that comes from a certain place in in film. Uh, we gotta wrap up, uh, Zoe. I know you've got. Um Coen Brothers movie coming out from Netflix, which was wonderful. I loved your segment, by the way. That story is so on the the chapter that you're in. I didn't see where that was a great piece of storytelling. Um, and Paul, you've got the uh, Showtime show, uh, I think, coming out as a reformer. But I'm I'm curious about right the limited series, the Showtime. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, what's it called? I forget. Escape at Danamora. But as filmmakers and writers, is there projects on the horizon? Is there things either so you do a lot of writing? Is there things that you're working on together? Thinking about the second film. We have we have some thoughts. <laughs> we're we're like starting to think about it, um, and I have some other things I'm working on by myself. But no, we don't we don't have an easy packaged answer to that. I will say, I, I mean, like, to that question, like, one of the things that is exciting to me is that we learned so much making this. Like, we just learned a ton, and I, I really do want to be able to take those lessons to another thing. And one thing that I saw Paul learn was really how to trust his collaborators. Like, he's a very, um, like, what you said about, what you, Paul, said about, like, how you feel when you can't control 
your environment like made me laugh interiorly because like no one can control their environment like that that's an illusion and like the fact that you want to I think says a lot about like how you know like who, who you have been and you really like relinquish control as we made this movie even though you stayed exactly in the driver's seat like watching you learn how to collaborate with so many people and make compromises and learn that compromises aren't always compromises and or that they can be great gifts sometimes and I'm really excited to see you make another film from that starting place and just see like where the next one takes you yeah, and Zoe is like annoyingly um, productive, and she's always write? writing. She do you writes. write when you're acting? Do you, you know, do here's the most annoying thing about my life, which is that whenever I put time aside to write, mm. I don't get anything done. Right. And as soon as I get an acting job, I get, I'm like, oh my god, I have an idea, and like suddenly I want to sit down on my computer. So yes, I'm normally writing like in my trailer or in my dressing room before a show or, yeah. There's something about that, about entering another world, entering another character that almost turned, like, I feel like if you focus your brain on entering in a world, uh, this is the world I'm gonna do, it doesn't go there, but if you, something about, like, if you yeah. have to be someplace else. Sure, but also I think it's just, like, the same thing that made me uh, write all my term papers on the last possible night. Like, <laughs> I think it's a, like, a real procrastinator's dream, having a, a false deadline. Yeah. Life events make you less of a procrastinator. You'll yes. find, you'll find, you'll find. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Can't wait. Anyways, I love this film. That last, by the time I watched it again, I hit that last shot. It was, um, I just, it, it, you hit an emotional note that uh, is overwhelming even seeing it again. It's, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. Thank Both you so much. Congratulations. And it's, uh, I just want to make sure, it's opening Friday and, and then it starts October 19th. In LA and New York. Yeah. And then it rolls out. Spreads out. Spreads over the next few weeks. It gets bigger and bigger. All right. <laughs> Thank you guys. All right. Thank thanks. You.